you're visiting, my name's Robert. I'm one of the pastors here. I've kind of got a privileged position um, in terms of teaching and leading. And um, it's, it's great to have you with us. If you are joining us for the first time, you've come in at a good time, but maybe a bad time, because you've come in when we're just finishing the book of James. Like, boo, right? But <coughs> hopefully it's a good thing, because these are standalone messages and... We trust that the Lord will, will use even this final message of James to be an encouragement. We are <clears throat> going for a series that we've entitled Bonafide Faith or Genuine Faith. And today's particular message is James 5. It's the last section. And <clears throat> it's Bonafide or, if you like, Genuine Faith Praise. I'm going to give a quick overview in a moment with regards to the rest of, of James in terms of what we've looked at up until this point. But if we're going to talk about prayer, it probably makes sense that we start off. <laughs> um, and, and, and it's funny because my strap line, if you like, could potentially or possibly be, we tend not to be aware of the need to pray. I'm saying as sinful humans, we tend not to be aware of our need you know what I'm saying? To pray. That for ourselves, but how many of you know also for others? So let's do that. Let's take a minute just to ask for the Lord's help. Father, thank you um, for your gracious, <coughs> wonderful work in our lives. Being here, Lord, is an identifying marker of the measure of your grace. Just to be among your people, um, to be exposed to your word, and to be in a place where you are willing to work in us to change and to transform us. Lord, it's our desire to be more like you um, because we sometimes are overwhelmed with how much we are like me, how much, how much we are like we. And um, Lord, we see our desperate need to change, yet we can't without your help. So we ask for that today, especially as we look at um, your word, which again... Um, focuses on the need for transformation in order that we might have genuine bona fide faith. Please help us as we, as we speak and as we listen in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. <coughs> so, um, yeah, you can probably hear this is ringing a bit. Maybe you want to take out a bit of the middle, bro. Thank you. Um, so today we're going to hear James's final message um, concluding his letter to professing believers. As mentioned before, um, this, is, this is probably the James who became the leader of the church um, in Jerusalem. You see that in Acts chapter 15, just to give us a, what they call Sitzenleben, the, the context. Because what we have to, what we have to be careful is uh, what we have to be careful of is when we look at the Bible that we don't immediately say, okay, well, this is what the Bible says. Uh, what does it mean to me? You know what I mean? I mean, we need to say that. We need to ask that question. But first of all, we ask, what did it mean to them? That is, those who were the original recipients of the letter. And and so, James is writing to a scattered church. A church that's been persecuted. You remember what happened to Stephen? And the church had to like hightail it out of Jerusalem for fear of their lives. You know what I'm saying? For, um, for, 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 um, in, one, in, in one manner of speaking. 
And <clears throat> as they leave, they become what is known as kind of like the, the diaspora or those who kind of scattered and, and went outside of Jerusalem as we know it. And they fled and they dispersed throughout the Near East, if you're familiar with your map. You've got Israel and you've got, I don't know, Lebanon, Syria. You keep going forever north. You come to Turkey. So they've spread out even across the, the, the west of the, on, onto the Mediterranean to Cyprus. And, 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 and as they spread, um, some of them leave everything behind. And the gospel <clears throat> is funny because as they spread, the gospel is spreading. But for some of them, it's, it's a challenge. It's difficult. I mean, we, we see pictures of people, don't we, who are leaving um, their homeland, whether it be Syria or elsewhere, with just a clothes on their back. You know what I'm saying? Um, and, and, and to some degree, in some cases, these that are hearing James's letter are in a difficult place. Yet the gospel is spreading because the people are spreading. And that not only to Jews predominantly, because that's what was happening up to about Acts chapter 10, but also now the Gentiles are hearing the gospel. And it has continued to spread, hasn't it? That is the gospel over the past 2,000 years. You know what I'm saying? Across the globe, and we sitting here are the fruit of that. <laughs> Amen? So this, this letter is for them as well as, it's, it's to them as well as for us. And, and it's for every professing believer, past, present, and future. And James's concern is that Believers in Christ not just profess faith with their lips, but evidence faith with their lives. He calls for a genuine faith, a real, authentic, legitimate, bona fide faith. Um, if your faith is bona fide, if it's real, if it's authentic, it will be, as he said in chapter 1, a steadfast it will be steadfast, particularly under trial. It will be obedient when tested. In chapter 2, he said, bona fide faith, it loves how? Impartially. And it works. It's not just a hearer, but it's also a doer of the word. He said in chapter 3 that bona fide faith, it speaks, but carefully, <laughs> with a tame tongue. You know what I'm saying? And he also said, bona fide faith is wise. It's, it, it, it walks in wisdom, but not wisdom from beneath. Wisdom from where? Wisdom from above. Bertram shared that with us. Bona fide faith is, is also, in chapter 4, is, is a type of faith that submits to God. What it does is it resists the well and the devil. Bona fide faith is humble. It's not boastful or arrogant or presumptuous. It doesn't, and, and it's funny because Richard helped us to see, it doesn't resist the oppressor that Jason spoke about. It doesn't resist the oppressor, it's humble. On the contrary, we heard that bona fide faith is patient, <coughs> even in the face of difficult circumstances. And last week in the middle of chapter 5, we saw that. And again today, bona fide faith does what? It prays. Thank you. And, uh, and it's funny, the, the, problem that J the problem that James is confronting, the challenge is, is, the challenge is that we tend not to want to pray. Imagine, remember the context, even though these believers are potentially suffering and struggling under the yoke and the burden of the, the rich oppressor, you know what 
you know what I'm saying? Um, even, even, even in that moment, James still feels it necessary as we move into this next section of chapter five to say to them, look, remember you got to pray. Remember. Now you'd think if someone's su su suffering, someone's struggling, you wouldn't need to remind them. But we are really fickle. And I'm saying, and even in those desperate moments, often the last resort actually is prayer. So, <clears throat> bona fide faith, <laughs> it prays. And the problem that, that James is confronting, the challenge is us not wanting to or tending not to want to pray. Look at verse 13. He says, <clears throat> oh, let me actually, let me read the text. That would be helpful, wouldn't it? So James chapter 5, I knew I should have brought my paper Bible. James chapter 5, and I'm reading from the ESV. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone, uh, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings a sinner back from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Verse 13. Is anyone among you? And I say among you. Well, thank you for the one and a half person. Too. Is anyone among you suffering? Now the response from his hearers is, in the context... Yes, we are suffering from last week. And what does James say? Let him pray. Let her pray. See, he asks the question, knowing that the answer won't be prayer unless the believer's, unless the believer's faith is bona fide. He asked the question, knowing that the answer won't be prayer, unless the believer's faith is bona fide. Now, in this final section, James will ask and answer three questions, all related to prayer. And we can see safely, we can safely say that this section speaks profoundly about prayer because the word is mentioned eight times in eight verses. Seven times directly and one times indirectly. Let's see if you can pick up the indirect reference to prayer. Now, we just read verse 13, right? 
I know this is about prayer. Look, verse 14, he says, Is anyone among you sick? Elders do what? Pray over him. Verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick. Verse 16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Verse 17, Elijah prayed, and he did so fervently, right, that it might not rain. Verse 18, it says, then he, what? He prayed again. Is it fair to suggest that (laughs) this section of our text is talking about prayer? Now, going back to the second part of verse 13, right, which is where we are, we hear James get ready to ask his second question, right? But before we consider that, let's explore his first question just a little bit further. So verse 13, he says, is anyone among you suffering? Anyone among you suffering? You hear the question? And the answer is, let him pray. Now, it's been said, if you want to embarrass a Christian, just ask them about their prayer life. I don't know if you've ever heard that. And I don't know if hearing that, you're like, hmm, for real. (laughs) And it's true. Generally speaking, prayer often seems, as I mentioned earlier, to be the last resort. Even when we see someone suffering, even when we ourselves are suffering. Why? Because we tend not to be aware of the need to pray for ourselves and also for others. Now remember, James is a practical guy, right? He shoots straight. He doesn't pull any punches. And the word here is is quite general in terms of suffering. Um, it, it, It means trouble or difficulty or trial. Can you hear the echoes from chapter one? Often, <clears throat> because Paul mentioned this in chapter one, often Old and New Testament writers, they will, they will end a book or a letter the way they began the book or letter, right? Returning to issues raised. At the, remember, this is a letter that James probably sat down and wrote in one sitting. So obviously, he's still thinking about the things that he said at the beginning because it was only like half an hour ago that he wrote it, right? For the sake of argument. James chapter 1, just to remind you what he said at the beginning of this letter, he said from verse 2 through to 5, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Remember that? Now we're talking about suffering in chapter 5, and he says you must pray. Listen to what he said. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And the problem is, we don't normally do that. And hence, that's another reason to pray. He says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Not only do we forget that we need to pray, right? And we're not aware of the, the, our need to pray. But also, we, f- we forget when we're in a trial that it's actually going to be a blessing. It's actually going to work towards our good, Romans 8, verse 28. All things work together for good, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, right? Now, we know that, but we don't know that. or We forget it, especially when we're in a trial. But he says, look, notice verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. And he says this on the back of going through trials. Notice he says, let him ask God. Could it be suggested, as you look at the screen, that 
That describes prayer. See, so you can see that he's reflecting back on what he's already said. See, that's another way of saying pray, asking God, right? And notice it's pray for what in chapter 1? It's pray for wisdom because trials, difficulty, and suffering, they all come for different reasons, so sometimes when you get hit with a difficulty or trial or suffering, one of the first things you have to do is, wait a minute, I'm a child of God, and I'm saying, not that we get into this whole thing about I'm a king's kid, I'm above and not beneath, I'm the head and not the tail, I'm blessed coming in and blessed going out, like I'm not supposed to have sickness or drama or difficulty in my life, no, and I'm saying, but when difficulty does come, we know that it comes because the Lord allows it, and I'm saying, and what we, what we need to do immediately is not throw our toys out the pram, which is what I often do. But what we, need to, what we need to do is we need to say, okay, Lord, this has happened and you've obviously allowed it, but why has it happened? Lord, I need wisdom. I need wisdom in terms of responding to this difficulty because trials, difficulty, and suffering, they all come for different reasons. And we can legitimately pray for our sufferings to be alleviated, which we should, but at the same time, we need to also pray for wisdom. Because I mean, if you know, sometimes we pray and the, in the issue ain't alleviated. Does that mean that, you know, I'm saying God never heard us? Does it mean like, oh, my, the Lord's like, boy, Mike, boy, this, I, can't, I can't help you on this one. <laughs> of course not. So there must be another reason why what is happening is happening. And hence the need for wisdom. Right? <clears throat> And we can, we can legitimately pray for our sufferings to be alleviated. And it, it, and it says here in chapter 1, because it may not be, you see, it may not be God's, God's plan to alleviate our suffering as hard as it is to hear. You know what I mean? But that's real, isn't it? Like long gone are the days when I'm sneezing, my nose is running, my eyes are streaming, and you ask me, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah. You know what I'm saying? But Rob, you look like you're not feeling it. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely fine. I'm healed in Jesus' name. You remember them days? <laughs> you know what I mean? When we are denying reality. Well, I'm saying that sometimes, surely in the light of that, and in the light of reality, we have to say, wait a minute. Something else is happening here. You know what I'm saying? And if God is who he is, it doesn't challenge, you know what I'm saying, our understanding and our belief in God and our faith in God. But something's happened here, but it's happened for a reason. Lord, give me wisdom. You know what I'm saying? To count, notice, to count my suffering as joy. And that's why we need that wisdom. You know what I'm saying? Do you remember Paul prayed? He had a thorn in the flesh. <laughs> Man had a difficult trial and issue, right? To the point where he, do you remember? He, he pleaded with the Lord not once or twice, but thrice. <laughs> that's bad English, right? And, and eventually, it's like, eventually, when the Lord answered. Imagine going to the Lord and asking him a question and the Lord don't, don't even respond, seemingly. And in two times, and in, in, in the text, it seems like he pleaded with the Lord. You ever been in them places where you're on your knees begging the Lord, Lord, Lord? Two times, no answer. And then the third time, the Lord then responds. And as Paul says, Lord, deliver me from this thing, the Lord says, um, no. It wouldn't have been so bad if you had to wait three times and the Lord said, all right then, Paul, yeah, no problem. I was a bit busy around the corner doing this, sorting out Stephen. Yeah, I, what, what? no problem. But the Lord doesn't do that. He says no. 
I'm not going to alleviate your burden in the way that maybe you desire, as in take it away. The Lord said to him, no, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your strength, in your weakness. So one of the reasons sometimes these, these trials come is to remind us, you know what I'm saying, of our weakness and of our desperate need for the Lord. See, and, and hence we find wisdom in that circumstance. And, and sometimes when confronted with suffering of some kind, the problem isn't that we aren't, <clears throat> that we aren't aware of the need to pray. I suggested earlier, sometimes we're in a situation where like, what am I going to do? Where am I going to find the money? How, what am I going to pay this bill? What am I gonna, who, who shall I call? Like, I'm saying sometimes the last resort, oh, maybe I should pray about it. <laughs> and everything else falls to pieces and there ain't no one to call. We then think, man, right? I've suggested that. Um, but you know what? The problem sometimes isn't that we aren't aware of the need to pray. We just flat refuse to pray. Especially when things are peak and on top in my life. I'm like, Lord, I don't want to talk to you. I can, I can imagine Paul beseeching the Lord two times and feeling like, you know what? Like, like, he'd be like, I'm out here serving you, Lord. I'm out here like, laying down my life for you, Lord. I heard someone say once, Lord, I'm not surprised you, the, 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 the few friends you have, the way you treat the ones that you got. <laughs> I'm asking, you ever, you, ever, you ever been in that place where you felt like that? You know what I mean? Are you flat? It's not even that you don't, you don't know. I, I know I'm supposed to pray, but I'm not trying to pray. I don't want to talk to you right now, Lord. Yet James says, he says, is anyone among, among you suffering? He says, let him, let her pray. Okay, so that's question one. Question two, in the middle of verse 13, which contrasts with question one, although it's still about prayer, right? What's the question? What's the second question? Is anyone cheerful? Do I make you feel nervous? How you look feel like you don't want to answer? Oh, ain't it? Thank you, sis. My kids say, Dad, you know what? You're scary. It's, it's true you don't understand, but maybe the beard make this, this half-baked trying to grow a beard might scare you. But I'm not that, I don't think I'm that scary. So the question is, is anyone cheerful? You see how that contrasts with question one? Cheerful now. So he says, okay, if you feel this way, what should you do? Let them sing songs. Let them sing praise, right? Now, this was the, <clears throat> the indirect reference that I said earlier. Remember, I, said, I read out all of these references, pray, 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 pray. I said there was one indirect reference to pray, making eight. Here it is. Did you pick it out? Praise, singing praise. That's a type of prayer. The word for praise in some translations is what? What have you got in your translation? If you've got your Bible open. Everybody reaching in that bag now for that Bible, you know. <laughs> They'll be like, Pastor Robert, you put the verses up on the screen. <laughs> Psalms. Melody, make melody. I remember when I learned this, when I memorized this verse, I mean, Harry be with me, even though I know she don't really use that King James no more. Remember for years, Harry, oh my gosh, Harry's like, KJV all the way, standard. UMP, that's what done it. Learning, isn't it? Yeah, it's helpful. Um, 
different translations can be a blessing. I learned, you know what I'm saying, if you're in distress, you know what I'm saying, um, certainly if you're in distress. The King James Version makes reference to Psalms, singing Psalms, let him sing Psalms. Now, Ephesians 5 is beautiful because, listen to what it says. It says, and do not get drunk with wine. <laughs> that's, that's helpful, and especially coming up to Christmas. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another, how? In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to who? The Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, it's funny, when we sing, you know what I'm saying, in one sense we're singing to one another. How many of you ever been, you know what I'm saying, kind of sitting in a congregation and you're like, I don't really feel like singing today. I've got this on my mind, that on my mind, but everyone else is singing. You know what I'm saying? And as they're singing, you can hear the words, in it? And it contributes to being a blessing. That's why just coming once a, once a week on a Sunday, you know what I'm saying, contributes to, to benefiting you in your spiritual life. You know what I mean? You don't have to come to church, but it makes sense to come. You know what I mean? Or I'll, let me not say church, because the, the church ain't the building. We're the building. We're the, the people of the church. And ecclesia, even. You know what I'm saying? That's the Greek word for, for church. You know what I'm saying? It's the people. But we come together in that fashion. You hear people singing. And even halfway through, you might be like, man, I really need to sing to the Lord because he's been good to me. You know what I mean? There's a blessing hearing others singing. That's why you must sing. Amen? Not just the praise team. It's not just their job. It's our job as well, even though they do a great job. Um, but also we're singing to the Lord. It's a, it's a form of prayer. In, um, oops. Yeah, in Colossians chapter 3, it says something similar. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Because that's when you're really going to be able to write songs and, you know what I'm saying, and, and even sing them. Because when God's word is in your heart, it encourages you. This, yeah, I need to be singing because God has been good to me. And, you know what I'm saying, I'm supposed to pray without ceasing. And if singing is a part of my prayer life, then singing is a healthy thing. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. Wow, how? Like James, wait a minute, like James says, in all wisdom. You know, you're getting instructed when you're listening and also when you're singing, you know what I'm saying, in the congregation. That's why a congregation of singing is, well, Pastor E will tell you about psalmody. Remember that, Pastor E, back in the day? Oh my gosh, different words for, for praise, like halal and, and shabak and, and tehillah, different Greek. Every time you see praise in the Bible, it's just praise. No, 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 they've got different meanings. Some of them mean to shout with all your might. Some of them mean to dance around and like, act clamorously foolish. Some of them mean to kneel down or lie down on your face prostrate. Different words for, for, for praise. And all of it is communion, communion with God, with thankfulness in our hearts. Amen. And notice, it's not just other Christians in church and ourselves that we can encourage. Acts chapter 16 is classic. I love this chapter. One of my favorite chapters um, in the Bible. <coughs> and we know the story. Paul's in prison, isn't it, with Silas. And the impression that you get based on the circumstances is, I know I would not respond how we're going to see him and Silas respond in a minute. In the face of incredible suffering. We pick up the story in, chapter, in, in Acts 16 and verse 23. And it says, and when they had inflicted many blows upon them, and this is because they, were, they weren't out there doing something they shouldn't have been. They were out there preaching the gospel. And um, Lydia got saved. Um, a, a slave girl got delivered from a from from demon oppression. 
And it was these guys who used to make money from her, were using and abusing her, were angry. Tutus, call the police, whatever. They end up incarcerating Paul and Silas. And it says, and when they had inflicted, verse 23, many blows, not just blows, you know, many blows upon them. They threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them, notice, into the inner prison. He never just took them and put them in, you know what I'm saying, in a regular cell. He put them in the inner prison, like solitary confinement. Now, and, and it's not like um, Bertram lives in Thamesmead. It ain't like Belmarsh, you know what I'm saying, or Brixton down at Jeb Avenue. Imagine, can you imagine a first century prison? Oh my gosh. Threaten, and it says, having thrust them, put them into the inner, that's my King James coming through again, having put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were complaining, moaning, murmuring, saying that this is the last time I'm going to preach any gospel. Look, look, at, look, look how we're being treated. They never said that, right? It says they were praying and singing hymns to God. But notice the next part of the verse. And the prisoners were listening to them. How many of you know that? That people, not just in church, as we're either singing, it's nice, and you know, I'm saying we're sharing, and I'm up here preaching, you know, what I'm saying, you think I'm always like this? Catch me out a road, especially when I'm when I'm driving. You know what I mean? And but people are listening. I, just across the road, one time, I nearly lost my mind. Did I ever tell you the story? I'm not gonna. I'm not. Who said don't? Did you say don't tell him? Tell you? I'm not gonna. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, sis. I love you. But time. I'm tr- <laughs> but um, the, the long and short of the story is, I literally, I, like this man done something. When I tell you, it was, I, I, I jumped out my car for a good reason. No? No, no there was. <laughs> man said, keep it moving. But it was not a good witness. But thankfully, the Lord, it was like, I jumped out my car. I'm t- telling the story anyway. Jumped out the car. Man, I... And, and the thing is, I was so angry because what he had done was so unjust. I jumped out the car, and when I got out the car, it was like the Lord said to me, okay, so, so, so what are you going to do now? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And I had to humble myself and, and, and get back in my car very sheepishly when I had a good, listen, when I tell you I had good reason to cuss him, and I probably had more than enough reason to take it actually even further than that. You know what I mean? But I'm saying, was that a good testimony? Now, you, you ever done that sometimes? And in tutus, you kind of stop and you think, and you look around and you wonder who, you know what I'm saying, could... I have told you this story one time and my sister's sitting right here. One time, yeah, when we was back at Broccoli, I was coming into church. I think church had started and I parked the car and I'm, and I'm walking in and I think I was preaching, like, a bit like today, right? So... I'm coming in, and I'm walking. You remember Broccoli, right? Remember St. Peter's? So the church is right there. I've got about maybe 50 yards, and I'm walking towards St. Peter's. Behind me is Broccoli. Up that end is kind of Lewisham Way, and St. Peter's is on the right. And I'm walking up, and I'm coming, and I've got my stuff, and I'm going to preach. I'm, no, no, no. I'm going to church, and I'm going to preach. And in the corner of my eye, I see these two girls coming down the road, and I was like... Like, why? For one minute. You know, like, for one split second. My heart. 
I weren't, I weren't, I weren't looking and lusting and thinking, oh my gosh, yeah, boy, what can I do like with these two girls? I never went that far. But I'm just saying, you know, you're in a place, fellas, where you just see some, some girls at the court and you just think, hmm. And, and, and the Lord is my witness. I looked and I thought, I'm about, I'm about God's, I'm going to church. I'm about God's business. Let me go back my bit. When I tell you, I ca- you know when you come in, you've got the double doors, you come into St. Peter's, right? And I come in and I think I was just standing there. Like the, the service had started. I'm thinking, okay, cool. I need to get myself together. I'm going to go preach. I'm standing there by the table. You know where they used to put the mic? I'm standing there. Someone like, I don't know, Peter Beggs is there. And someone else is standing. I'm standing there. Who walks into the church? <laughs> oh, Lord of mercy. The, two, the very two girls that I saw. Now, imagine if that went another way. And they're going to walk in. And, and here's the thing. As they walk in, they, 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 I don't know if they tap me or they touch me, but they, alert, they get my attention. And, and they say, are you Pastor Robert? <laughs> because we, are, we, we were going to another church, and our pastor, the church, the church folded. The pastor told us to come here and that we should come and look for you. Wow. <laughs> and what can I... The sister's sitting right there in front of me. I, I, sis, am I lying? <laughs> well, I'm, you wouldn't know about the first part, the walking down the street part, but... <laughs> Right? Wow. Wow. The prisoners were listening. <laughs> boy. Wow. That could have been a different that could have been a different day, boy. You know what I mean? So <clears throat> let's be encouraged, innit? May God help us. May God help us to see the need. So we we seen them they're praying, you know what I'm saying? That was an instance when they potentially could have lost the awareness of the need to pray, is my point. And I'm saying, may God help us to see the need for an awareness of prayer. Like, maybe even in that mo- moment, I was like, Lord, I see them too. I'm like, Lord Jesus, help me. You, fellas, you ever, you ever been there? Uh, all right then, amen. Amen. So look, may God help us to see the need for an awareness of prayer when suffering, but also when we're cheerful. See, now what happens when a person isn't aware and they don't see the need for prayer? Now, let's say you're here today and you're not convinced. Your suffering is overwhelming you to the point where if we stopped the service right now and we went home, prayer is not the first thing that you're going to do when you arrive there. Even after discussing it for the past 20 minutes, half an hour, <laughs> 45 minutes, where you're, you're still not motivated to pray. Let's say that's you today. Yeah? And then on the other hand, <laughs> you may be really cheerful. Like life is wonderful. You know what I'm saying? Like the sun is shining. It seems like springtime. You know what I'm saying? It's like Christmas. You got, you're looking forward to a great Christmas. You've got, you, you know what I'm saying? You've already started to buy presents, but. The bank account is nice, so you still got a whole host of presents to get, and you're, you're, you're healthy. You know what I'm saying? It's like, 
you got a decent job. You got a car that doesn't, that doesn't break down. I'm like, you got reasons, like the song used to say, to be cheerful. And I'm saying life is wonderful. You, on the other hand, are looking forward. And like the struggling, and like the person struggling who has no motivation to pray, you're nice, but have no desire to praise. You see how that works? See, it's because we tend to lack an awareness of our need to commune with God. We can be so down, or we can be very up. And still be in the same place. Now this speaks, this speaks to you even if, even if you've never been to church and you aren't a Christian. Because regardless, you were created in the image of God to commune with God. right? But this definitely also speaks to us as Christians. Why? Because as Christians, what we tend to do is we tend to wander. Now that's not wander W-O-N is wonder, W-A-N-D-E-R, wonder. Now, we sing this song sometimes. Actually, this is a hymn. I don't know how you distinguish it between a song and a hymn. Robert Robinson wrote this, this hymn, and it's a hymn that we sing. Um, it'd be unfair for me to ask the praise team to get ready to sing it at the end. It'd be unfair for me to ask that. Um, <laughs> but who knows? Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily, I'm constrained to be. Uh, uh, Richard sang for us last week. You're brave, you're brave, you're a braver man than me, bro. <laughs> right? Oh, to gra- listen to the words, because I know if I sing it, it's, gonna, it's definitely going to distract you. <laughs> oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily, I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering, hear the word? Wandering heart to thee, prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. It's wonderful. One, these are songs that help me when I come in and I've got madness on, I've got murder on my mind. These songs help me. Because, because my heart tends to wander. I, sh- I told you, like, Sports Direct Car Park. My, my heart was... Going into the church, my heart easily could have wandered because it has done in the past. See, and this message is to the is to the wanderer seated among us. Could could this now be what James attempts to tackle in the next seven verses? The wanderer seated among us. I think so. As we read the passage earlier, did you note the phrase, among you? I got you to repeat it. It actually is there three times. Verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Verse 19, my brother, we haven't got there yet, but verse 19, my brothers, if anyone among you does what? Wanders from the truth. Okay, so... So we come to this last section, verse 14 to 19, which is the answer to our third question, verse 14. This is question three. Here's the question. Somebody, t- somebody read out the question for me. I know Bertram's with me, you know. 
I don't, let me not embarrass you now, brethren, because I don't. Maybe you're not with me. Verse 14. <laughs> somebody, verse 14. Do you hear that? Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up or her, and if they have committed sins, they'll be forgiven. Now, I must admit, at first glance, I took this text at face value, but looking at it a bit more carefully, especially the last part of verse 15, and then verse 16 through 19, I couldn't see the connection. But hey, I have to admit that because the verses never hung together, it caused me to have to find out what was in the mind of James the author. Like, how do we make sense of this? I think now uh, I disagree with my previous understanding, or at least I see things differently to some degree with reference to this text. I know this sounds a bit cryptic. I've always understood this literally, but I think there's more here than meets the casual eye. The word sick in verse 14 doesn't just mean medically ill. Specifically speaking, although it could include that, it means the word means it also means feeble and it means weak. I got a witness. All right then. I never knew you was a scholar, Sister J. Jeez, you just read your Bible, innit? Amen. Amen. It means feeble or weak, and a similar word is. Is what, is what Jason mentioned earlier. Listen to 1 Corinthians 11. Because when we hear that text in James 5, we immediately think, okay, someone's sick, cool. Bring them to the elders, anoint them with oil and pray for them. Because they're sick. But is that what, what the word sick means? <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 11 verse 30 says, verse starting at verse 27, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup, remember Jay read this earlier with reference to communion, right? Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. It's quite a serious matter. Let a person examine himself, as we were reminded this morning. Let a person examine him or herself then, <clears throat> and, so, and so eat of the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on themselves. That is why many of you are what? Notice, weak and ill. You see the distinction, right? Some of you are weak and ill. And some have actually even died. That's deep, isn't it? Verse 31, but if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Now we're rem reminded, as I said earlier, Jason read this. The word here for weak, that is <clears throat> our word, it can mean sick, medically ill, but it also can mean feeble, impotent, and weak. And the anointing oil isn't necessarily a direct reference to the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't mean that we don't 
pray for healing. Of course we do. You know what I'm and we probably will still anoint people with oil, but <clears throat> this can also be taken um, to mean a social custom to make a guest feel accepted or welcomed into the home. Now, what do I mean by that? Do you remember when Jesus went into Simon, the tax collector's home in Luke chapter 7? Can you remember Jesus wasn't welcomed? They let, Simon let him in, but you know that he was kind of looking at Jesus out the corner of his eye. The whole of his boys were there. The, Phari- the whole crew, like the Pharisees were there. And they're looking at Jesus with scrutinizing eyes. He wasn't fully welcomed, and I can prove that, right? But my question is, do you remember that? And, 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 but, but yet a woman, the, the text says a woman of the city, possibly a prostitute, definitely described in the text as a sinner, what does she do? She takes oil. And by it, notice, she personally welcomes Jesus. Now, when he comes into the house, they don't, Simon doesn't, per, doesn't welcome Jesus. But she, I'm going to show you, personally even though he wasn't, wasn't fully welcomed, they, obviously they let him in, so there was some kind of welcome, but it was not open-armed, full embrace type of a welcome. But she does. She welcomes him personally, showing him care and consideration. In Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 44 through to 46, it says, Then turning toward the woman, right? Obviously, I've just told a story, right? Now notice, Jesus turns to the woman, but he's going to speak to Simon. You ever done that before? He looks at the woman and he says, Simon, do you see this woman? That's who he's looking at. I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with ointment. <coughs> Can you see how oil is a picture of me welcoming you? When I take the oil out, when you come in my house, remember, they used to wash people's feet. As you come in the house, because obviously for obvious reasons, right? We're all going to sit down and eat in a minute. We have to make sure you wash the feet. But they also would anoint the person with oil because it was a, it was a lovely fragrance, and, I'm saying, and what that was, was me saying, I welcome you into my home. I welcome you. You're welcome. Can you hear a familiar echo from the Old Testament? Close your eyes. You know this, but just close your eyes and bear with me. Humor me. Listen to this psalm as it talks about, notice, we're talking about someone who potentially is sick. Not sick medically, but sick spiritually, sick, weary, sick, burdened, spiritually, mentally. Listen to this psalm. Talk about rest for the weary soul and recuperation and restoration and reinvigoration. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. You ever feel like you need to lie down because you're weary? He leads me beside, not noisy, raging seas. He leads me beside still waters. He restores 
my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, what do they do? They comfort me. Now listen to the killer. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. And my cup runneth over, says King James. You see, keep your eyes closed. You see the picture of coming into God's house and being welcomed by him? In spite of being surrounded by enemies, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell where? In the house of the Lord forever. You can open your eyes now. James is coming into land as he concludes this book and he's, and he's trying to say, I would argue, look, James says, I'm going to say some hard things because I want, you, I want you to be genuine in your faith. At the same time, I want you to be encouraged in your faith, especially as you go through difficult times. Sometimes you're angry, selfish, and sinful. Sometimes, sometimes you're sick medically. Sometimes you're weak, feeble, tired, and exhausted. On the one hand, you will be rebuked, but on the other hand, you will be restored. As James said in chapter 1, his desire is, chapter 1, verse 4, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The word is mature. With that in mind, look at verse 15 as we come to an end. Verse 15, with that in mind, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. Now, the word save there doesn't just mean salvation, die and go to heaven. It means to, to preserve you. It, it's the word sozo in Greek. It means to preserve you. It means to make you whole. That's what it means to save you. The prayer of faith will save or preserve or make whole the one who's sick. That is the one who's faint, tired and weary. And that in a physical sense, but also I think James is emphasizing it in a spiritual sense, in an emotional sense. And it says, and the Lord will raise that person up. And, and notice, and if he or she has committed sins, see, it's not, it's, not, it's not a given that you're in a difficult place because you've sinned. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it isn't. But if you've sinned, you'll be forgiven. So it could be that, as I try to, Make sense of this now. So it could be that the person is medically ill and in need of miraculous healing. We don't want to take that away. But it could be that the person has sinned and as a result of the Lord's discipline is sick. We saw that First Corinthians 11. Medically or weak generally. And the person needs to repent and as a result receive forgiveness for their sins if it's a sin issue. And if it's a sin issue, you can see why there's the need to involve the elders. But it could also be that a person is weak, faint, and just tired. Not because of illness generally or sin specifically. It could, 
actually be the opposite. A person is, could just be just tired, just burnt out, just weary because of doing well. Galatians 6 verse 9 says, and let us not grow weary. Why would he say that if it's not potentially a possibility? Let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. How many Christians get to this point and just don't feel like they have anything more to give? And, and how being surrounded by the church community, in, including the elders, we can, we, we can make a person feel welcomed. We can make them feel accepted and cared for and prayed for. So what I'm, I'm saying that if you're in that place where you're feeling faint and weary, how wonderful it is. I don't know if you've ever had a group of people pray for you, like literally lay hands on you. You sit on a chair and you feel like you can't go another millimeter, let alone another mile, right? And you sit there and, and brothers and sisters just come around and you just put their hands on you and pray for you. I'm suggesting this is what James is talking about in at least that portion of the text. And you can see how being aware of the need to pray can work to our advantage. Look again how James encourages the need for a healthy awareness. In verse 16, he says, Therefore, therefore, yeah, therefore, like having said this or knowing this or being aware of this, therefore, confess your sins to one another. And what? Pray for one another that you may be healed. Can you see that James wants the struggling individual to be aware of the need for them to pray personally. If you're suffering, pray. You pray. If you're cheerful, pray. You, as an individual, praise. But notice, if you're struggling with sin, illness, depression, discouragement, weakness, and burnout, call someone at church. If need be, we the elders can get involved. But whatever we do, we must pray. Why? Look at the end of verse 16. Because the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Help and hope are accessible. Help and hope are available. Are you aware, are you aware of that? It was really encouraging this week. Myself, Pastor Ian and Harriet. Um, there's a, a, we were invited to a prayer meeting by a young brother in New Cross, young guy that's planted, I say young guy, he's about 35, I think, I would say. And he's planted a church in New Cross recently. His name's Ben, Liz ben Lindsay. He used to be a part of Soul Sin is it Sound Syndicate, bro. Sound Syndicate, like an old school grime crew. Like, you, I remember him as a youth running up and down the place, jumping up and down, doing grime. Tutus are sick. He's a pastor now in New Cross. And <clears throat> he's been an advisor to the government <laughs> on youth crime, gang, gun, and knife violence for the past like 10, 15 years. And he called on all of the churches in the area, particularly in Lewisham, you know what I'm saying, to come together to pray for our young people that are being murdered and for the families that are affected. And you know what? We came together. What night was it again in the week? We got to, the nights mer all merged into, week merges into one, Wednesday. And we all came together and we prayed together. And there was like, there must have been 100 people, something like that. A number of churches represented from this area. And there was, the only thing on the agenda was pray. 
That was the only thing on the agenda. And I tell you, it was a tremendous, it was, it, 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 it was a tremendous time. I, I, I hesitate to say it was a powerful time, but it was a powerful time, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? And we, pr we prayed that things would begin to change. And I can't lie, sitting in that prayer meeting with other Christians collectively crying out to God with a common goal, it was powerful. And it felt like we prayed without doubting. That's how it felt to me. You know what I mean? And I, I just left that place convinced. Oh my gosh, something's going to happen, you know. Something is going to change. And we're actually planning a dedicated time for us as a church here to do the same in the, in the near future. Um, for us, we've done it before. For us just to come together collectively, just to pray. And um, I was infused with faith. And James would have been excited for us, you know what I'm saying, especially based on his next illustration. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. There's power in prayer, James is trying to say, and he gives us a living example. Verse 19, in conclusion, my brothers... Can you see that James is speaking to Christians? As he has been throughout most of this letter. But now the encouragement isn't just to be aware of your own needs in personal prayer or in public prayer with the church. But this is also a call to be aware of others who desperately need prayer. And along with that, they need help, support, care, restoration, reconciliation. He says, verse 19, my brothers, family, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. How many of you know there are Christians that wander around inside the church and there are Christians that wander around outside the church? The solution is the same. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And we see that beautifully portrayed at the cross. And James is, is emphasizing this. If Christ died for us and has provided all that we need for life and godliness, we ought to embrace that. May God help us to be much more aware of our own sin, our failure and weakness, and our need to pray, but also the needs of others. Who have, particular, who have potentially wandered and gone astray with regard to their sin, their failure and weakness and the great power we have available to us through prayer and God's willingness to see those who wander, reconciled, restored and renewed, bona fide eventually in their faith. I'm going to ask the guys to come and join me. As the guys are coming up, um, I suppose I have... A three-point challenge for us. Um, the text says we need to be aware of the need to pray for ourselves. Suffering. Times are difficult, or if times are great, you're cheerful, there's a time to praise. That's for us personally. 
So may we be encouraged to pray. And then secondly, let's seek prayer where we can't pray for ourselves from someone else. You know what I mean? You may have come today and someone's invited you. You can ask that person, you know what? I, didn't re- I wasn't aware of the need that, that I had to pray. Would you pray for me? Pray for yourself or seek prayer for yourself or the ultimate is to seek someone to pray for. You know what I mean? Because our hearts tend to wander and there's probably someone right here, maybe even sitting next to you. Hey, like I said, it, it could be me. You know what I mean? Let's seek out ways in which we can not just help ourselves, but help others. Father, thank you for um, your word. Thank you for James and, and this book. It's been harsh in certain points, but it's been extremely helpful. And Lord, I love the way that he's ended this book. He's concluded this book. He's trying to say, I'm, do, I'm saying these things because I want you to be healthy. I want you to be healed. I want you to be saved. I want you to be bona fide in your faith. And Father, for for those particularly with regards to today's message, Lord, who are in that place, Lord, where they're sick at heart, Lord, feeling weary, dragged themselves literally in today. And wondered if they were even going to make it out, make it home make it through the rest of this day or through the rest of this week. Lord, I I pray that that person would be encouraged to pray. And Lord, if they can't pray themselves, that they touch someone and say, please pray for me. And I'm saying, and it might be a sin issue, but it might not be. I'm just weary. I'm busted. I've, I've had it. Because Lord, if that person doesn't get prayed for, they they will end up wandering. And the scripture says, Lord, even to the point where, Lord, they could be lost because possibly they're not even actually a Christian. (coughs) Lord, I pray that that person today wouldn't leave without being prayed for and encouraged and strengthened. And even if it's the elders having to get around that person and lay hands on them, because, Lord, you promised to provide power at at that point for that individual. Thank you, Lord, you provide us with what we need in order that we might be healed and helped. And all because of the Lord Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.